Greetings, greetings, my dear audience, here in the United States and out there in the big world. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. It has been over three months since I've become a host of this show. And what I'm trying to do is every other Tuesday invite a special guest who is a specialist in some area of healthcare and wellness. And every other Tuesday, I speak on some subject of healing and health maintenance from my personal toolbox that I have acquired over a period of 43 years of my clinical practice. Through the magic of modern technology, I have no idea how it works. But at the PRN studio, they told me that thousands of people actually listen to my show. So I know you are out there. Some of you wrote to me very nice emails. And some wrote about the subject that they would like me to cover. Thank you. And now I would love to hear from you about what you wish this show to be like in terms of the structure. Uh, this show is for you. I want to accommodate your wishes. Do you want me to talk uh, less than I do or more than I do? Uh, do you want me to speak uh, once in a while and prefer that I invite more speakers? Or you want me to talk on various subjects that I've been doing so far, please write to me. My email is drpeterresnik at gmail.com. And also, if you want to reach me during the show uh, to make a comment or to ask a question on the air, you can call me at 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. In fact, during the two of my earlier shows, I spoke about the night dreams. Uh, frankly, <laughs> I thought it would be a hit. I was hoping that the people would call in with their night dreams and I would work with them on the air uh, in some, um, uh, if, if a person would make an appointment to see me in my office and work on their dreams it would cost a lot of money here you have an opportunity to get the same for free but unfortunately nobody called with their night dreams several people though wrote to me emails sharing their dreams with me some of them were quite long and, and i did not read them frankly uh, the people asked me to comment on their night dreams and I wrote to them that, unfortunately, there is absolutely nothing I can do with their dreams without speaking to the dreamers and asking the questions. So I just suggested that they read my article called Dream Work on my website. By the way, if you if you're interested in the subject, you can still go on my website, drpeterresnik.com and read this article. Once again, I'm reminding you, if you have some emotional issues that you would like to address or question you have, please do call. Uh, you do not need to disclose your name or any personal information if you feel uncomfortable doing so. Okay, um, so let's move on. Uh, I know that my average listener is a middle-aged person. That's what they told me at the studio also. So I invited 
for the next show uh, on Tuesday, March 16th, as a special guest, uh, Dr. Ruben Rafaelov, who is a doctor of pharmacy. He, we can say, defected or changed his work focus because he became a specialist in several health disciplines which do not require any medication, which are quite interesting. And among other things, he will be talking about how to reverse osteoporosis without drugs. He will introduce a new technology to increase bone density, improve strength and balance in as little as 10 minutes session once a week. So that may be interesting. I'm 67 years old. I want to know this too. But today you have me as a special guest, or not so special guest. Well, I cannot be a guest and a host at the same time, can I? Uh, because I, I am the only one here. So I don't know how you will call it. Let's see how it works. You will tell me. Two weeks ago, I introduced to you the first pillar of well-being from my upcoming book, Six Pillars of Well-Being. We spoke about the physical reality and how to keep this foundation healthy and balanced. If you missed that show, you can download uh, the whole show from the PRN archives, February 23rd show. But that was only the beginning. We have five more pillars to journey through. The second pillar, our emotional baggage, our thoughts, feelings, and self-talk. The third pillar, social conditioning, the influences for our society, community, family, which affect our lives, and of which we may or we may not be aware. The fourth pillar, our unconscious beliefs, which often more than often govern the choices we make in our lives. And the fifth pillar, our conscious attitudes and character traits. And the sixth pillar, our moral uh, and uh, or spiritual beliefs. Last week I had here on the show Dr. Andrew Newberg, the author of How God Can uh, Changes Your Brain. He is a neuroscientist who studies the effects of our beliefs on our brain and our physiology. So what he demonstrated through over 20 years of his research is that regardless what or who you worship, it's good for you. As long as your relationship with God or belief system that you follow is sincere, you are much better off in your life. We'll go deeper into it and explore uh, that, that was kind of objective studies. That's what Dr. Newberg is doing. But we go through the same uh, subject only through subjective experience of your inner journey as we go through the sixth pillar. But today, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to try to give you the second and the third pillars, if we have enough time, of course. And I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to know... Uh, if you want me to continue with the pillars, I can talk about many other subjects. I can talk about um, cancer. You, I, I think at one point I read you a whole list. I have over 30 different subjects on which I have lectured over the last three, three and a half decades. So 
Uh, I can talk on, on the subject of cancer. I can talk on the subject of anger, um, the, the character traits, how to strengthen your will, and so on. But I want you to to give me some feedback regarding this particular subject, six pillars of well-being, because if if you are interested, I can uh, go for a few more. Again, every other week, every other week I invite uh, specialists. But every other week I can continue this subject of six pillars of well-being and I will take you through some experiential journeys. But today, uh, if you're with me and if you're interested in the subject, the second pillar of well-being, our thoughts, feelings, emotions and self-talk, it would be good if you have an opportunity to have a pen and a pencil because I would want you to make some notes. So we know that the quality of our lives depends on how we feel. And how we feel depends on how we think. There is a reason why I speak of these four together, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and self-talk. First, let me tell you about the difference between feelings and emotions. The feelings is what we feel inside. The emotion, uh, the word emotion actually comes from Latin imovere, which means to move out of. An emotion is a, actually a feeling which is expressed. At times, people who do not express their feelings are thought of as cold and or distant. But that is not necessarily true. If a person does not express his or her feelings, it does not mean that they do not feel. In fact, they may feel very intensely but they do not emote their feelings to the outside world. Um, we now can simply talk about the feelings. So I will not speak feelings and emotions. Now you know what we're talking about. It's really about what we feel, whether or not we emote what we feel. And how are our thoughts, feelings, and self-talk tied together? The way we feel is a result of the thoughts we have in response to external events or circumstances or in response to our internal dialogue and what we say to ourselves about ourselves and about others. In fact, what we say to ourselves often may be more powerful, way more powerful than anything that comes from the outside, from others. You may ask, how can that be? Very simple. Let's say someone is critical of you, or offensive, or even abusive. You can argue with them. You can disagree with them. You can fight with them. The same is true even if you're in a position, let's say at work or with somebody who is in great authority, and you cannot speak up for yourself. In your mind, you can still argue with them. You can curse them out. Shortly, you can consciously reject their assessment of you. But when you yourself are critical or abusive toward yourself, there is no one there to argue. There is no one to argue with, to reject the th suggestions that you are giving yourself. Then when repeated over and over, these suggestions become part of your subconscious mind. And that's tragic. If these suggestions are negative and repeated, oh, 
you're hypnotizing yourself. Let me give you an example. Uh, from your young age, whoever was taking care of you said over and over again, stop on the red light. You see red light, stop, stop now. And these days, you're a grown person. You may not think about the traffic at all. Your thoughts are somewhere else. And yet the light turns red. And what happened? You automatically stop. It happens because stop on the red light has become a part of your subconscious mind. What your mind thinks of again and again, sooner or later, becomes you, becomes your psychological makeup. And the, 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 the sad thing is that you're not even aware of it because you were really hypnotized. In fact, you know, I'm a specialist on hypnosis. I'm telling you, I taught hypnosis for probably almost 40 years. And there are many ways to hypnotize a person. One of the ways, um, or to bring ideas in the subconscious mind, one is hypnosis. It's a particular technique. Maybe one day I will talk to you about it. Uh, but another way is a repeated idea. A third way, in fact, uh, when you identify with a certain group of people, you don't even need to, uh, to hear something. You just need to identify with, with the group of people and their way of thinking becomes your way of thinking. We'll talk about it when we talk about social conditioning. Not by a chance, the Chinese proverb goes, watch your thoughts. They become your feelings. Watch your feelings, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. How come? Are you kind of a puppet of some suggestions? No, but in a way you are a subject to your own conditioning. Once your subconscious mind got conditioned, which means if you had repeated thoughts about yourself over and over again, or you hear someone else's thoughts about you, they become a part of you. And then this, this cascade, as the Chinese expressed so beautifully, goes down. And then without you even consciously knowing why you act in a certain way, and that's your destiny. It's determined by conditioning that you receive. So my word to you, never say to yourself anything about yourself that you do not want to become your reality. I repeat, never say to yourself anything about yourself that you do not want to become true. If you say to yourself, oh, I'm stupid, or oh, my memory is terrible, or it's too hard, I'm so tired, I'm not cut out for this, I'm getting old, oh, it's over my head. And that becomes, if repeated, part of your subconscious. And then your subconscious feeds you with that information and you become that. You know, some people just say it as a as kind of a, a, a proverb of saying, oh, that's not for me, but that's not for me, that's not for me. And eventually, even if you, though you are capable, you are maybe educated, you know how to do things, and suddenly that's not for you. 
And you cannot do it. Why? Because you hypnotize yourself. You're not capable. But how, you may ask, can I control my thoughts if I, I am negative? I've been negative all my life. Uh, that is true, I have to tell you. I don't know how, but psychologists, experimental psychologists, uh, estimated that the speed of thought is one one hundred fiftieth of a second. <laughs> so you're screwed. <laughs> you know, there is no way with such a speed the thought comes, there is no way you can stop it. You have no control over negative thoughts coming into your mind. What you do have control over, though, is what you do once those negative thoughts come. The most important is not to give them life. And the way uh, not to give them life is not to give them attention. Instead, once a negative thought comes, you quickly change that negative thought into a command for positive action. I'll give you an example. A thought regarding memory comes to your mind. I would say, oh, oh, my memory is not good. You immediately rephrase it. Oh, I need to work on improving my memory. Or instead of, I'm tired, you say, I need a break so I would have more energy. Please remember, within any idea lies the awareness of the opposite. I will repeat again, within any idea lies the awareness of the opposite. Try it out. If you say it's cold, how do you know it's cold? Unless you experience being warm or hot. If you say, I'm angry, that means that you had the experience of being at peace or whatever not being angry means to you. And if you say, uh, I have a bad memory, it means that you have ex the experience of having good memory. The, to say, you know, it's light. It means you know what darkness is. So anytime a negative thought comes to your mind, immediately say to yourself, oh, that reminds me of my ability to do or to have such and such thing. This is it. As the negative thought will come, remember, as long as you do not begin to dwell on that negative thought, you do, as long as you don't breathe life into it by giving it attention, you're fine, particularly if you switch it immediately into positive one and state the opposite of the negative thought. Uh, let's uh, final one more, <laughs> like the thought comes, I'm going nowhere with this. Right away, you say to yourself, oh, that reminds me of my ability to find a way to figure out the best possible solution. You see, any, you can practice on your own. It's a, actually a good mental exercise. You know, so much time people spend uh, just going over some events that are insignificant or somebody offended them. Again, psychologists, uh, experimental psychologists actually estimated that we have on average 6,000 thoughts a day. 95% of them are the same as yesterday. <laughs> Can you imagine about productivity? What a waste of time. So no, do something useful, practice this. 
transforming any negative thought into a positive one. And once you do that, your computer slash brain begins to work at finding a way to success rather than preparing you to grieve about your inadequacies. One more thing. Never negate that uh, you, that you don't want to welcome in your life. It's hard to say it without actually being negative because I say two times ne never or negate. Because to negate something, you need to mention it. And therefore, you're reinforcing the presence of it in your mind. Let's say uh, you want to slow down on desserts. Yes. And you're going to a party where the host makes this rich, delicious cheesecake. Uh, if the cheesecake comes to your mind, don't say to yourself, oh, I'm not going to eat this cheesecake. Because why? Because even though you say the brain does not register the word no, the brain doesn't register uh, um, suffixes, prefixes. The brain produces images. So when you say I'm not going to eat that cheesecake, 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 mmm, cheesecake. Rather than saying to yourself, I'm not going to eat that cheesecake, you say, I'm going to a party and I will eat in the way that I feel healthy and proud of myself. The same thing with any other things that you want to uh, not get sucked into um, with negativity. And if you think that um, in interacting with someone may trigger anger in you, for example, rather than saying, I'm not going to get angry with this person. Yeah, because remember, the moment you say I'm not going to get angry with this person, first of all, the word anger already triggers some negative feelings, because you have a memory of being angry, particularly that an image of that person comes to your mind. So you're already rehearsing how to feel bad and how to feel angry. So rather than doing this, you say, this person is, and uh, he or she is the way he or she is, and it has nothing to do with me. How I respond is my choice. I choose peace. Okay? And now let's talk about the anxiety. There is a lot of anxiety going on these days. Everybody talks about anxiety. I'm not going to mention why this anxiety is around. We already spoke about it, but there is a lot of anxiety. And it is one of the most common negative feelings. So many visits to primary care physicians are, are made because of stress and anxiety, uh, because people think that they're having a heart attack. In reality, it's just anxiety or panic attack. Interesting, the Latin root for the word anxiety is angst, meaning to choke. When people are anxious, they're literally choking. They're gasping for air. And if you are hyperventilating and someone says to you, oh, take deep breaths, don't listen to their advice. Uh, because by taking deep breaths, inhaling deeply, you're actually stimulating your sympathetic nervous system. 
that makes you even more anxious. Here's what I want you to do if you feel anxious. First, first of all, it's a physical event, remember. Anxiety is not just a feeling, it's a physical event in your body. So you quickly identify where you feel that discomfort. It can be often it's in your chest or your throat. Sometimes it's like tension in your head, sometimes in stomach. So first you identify where you feel it. And then you ask yourself, how great is this what I experience on a scale from 1 to 10 as 10 being off the wall? And let's say you feel the number. The number, don't make it up. Something will pop into your mind. And let's say you feel the number is on the high level, kind of eight or nine. Keep in mind uh, the, the number. Just hold the number in your consciousness. Just literally see it. If you're not so visual, just think of the number. And without inhaling, as you're focusing on the number, without inhaling, slowly breathe out. Whatever air you have in your lungs, it's very important that first you breathe out, not breathe in. You may say, how can you breathe out without <laughs> having air? I will tell you how. Very simple. Look, when I speak, we usually speak on exhalation. Here, I'm speaking and I will still have something, something to exhale. Listen to this. You see? So there is always some air in your lungs. So remember once, so the steps, right? You identified way in your body, you feel the tension, and then see what number pops uh, into your mind, and then you slowly exhale. Exhaling stimulates parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, and of course, nor, then you nor, if inhale normally. Um, how it stimulates parasympathetic system by stimulating a quieting nerve called vagus, which goes from your brain, from in fact, from medulla to your stomach, lungs, and heart. And keep doing this, breathing out slowly, breathing in normally, and watch the number that was in your mind. Remember, let's say it was eight or nine, and you will see the number switching to eight, seven, six, five, it may take you eight, 10, 12 breaths out and in, but you will see once it reaches five, you are in a good place. The key is what you start by breathing out. There are also feelings of sadness, anger, disappointment. All those I will address in the future talks because because I will be talking remember, about uh, the third, fourth and fifth um, pillar, and that's when I, I talk about disappointment and anger and sadness. Now I want to share with you some practical tools uh, for dealing with life challenges. The first tool, I want you to consider what is true emergency and what is false emergency. So often we go into an emergency mode without even assessing the situation. I will not bother you with the whole story about the fight or flight response, but that's exactly what happens when you say to yourself, oh my God, oh, it's terrible. 
immediately, because these words are very meaningful, because when you first heard these words, you heard them in a content of, or should I say context? Yes, context, a better word, of, of stress. Probably somebody else was saying it, and you saw their face. You felt their energy. And now you say, oh, my God, immediately your body goes into flight or fight response. Norepinephrine is released in your brain, stimulates your heart, and so on and so on. So chemicals are released. The norepinephrine actually uh, increases a production of other steroids, um, like um, cortisol, that if, if it happens very often, will destroy the lining of your stomach. This is precisely what ages us prematurely. Living in constant stress, living in a state of emergency. But what is, how, what is the true emergency? When do we really need to worry? When, when do we need to act quickly? Well, I'll give you an example. When a child is trying to run across the street and does not see a car, is that a true emergency? Absolutely. But that will prompt you to act quickly. When somebody is holding a gun to your head, is that a true emergency? Yes, absolutely. But if a stock market crashes down 1,000 or 2,000 points, is that a true emergency? Absolutely not. Today it went down, tomorrow it will go up. If somebody scratches your new car, is that a true emergency? No. Sooner or later, it will get scratched anyway. Things don't work the way you want it. You lost your keys. You are late for a meeting. Listen, you are alive. Your loved ones are alive and well. Count your blessings. So here are some exercises for you to do to deal with this. Uh, become aware of your reactions. And when something happens that upsets you, ask yourself, is that a true emergency? If it is not, and most of the time, you will find, if you're honest with yourself, most of the time it is not. So you say to yourself, well, life is not always the way I want it to be. It is what it is. A good reason to celebrate when things happen just right. Now, uh, another thing I wanted to share with you, and it's all about our feelings and our responses to the world outside of us. Do not allow someone else's story to become your story. Let's say someone is angry or panicking, uh, or somebody is uh, accusing you of something. Somebody is in bad mood. You say to yourself mentally, this is his slash her story. It's not my story. It becomes your story only when you say, how dare he or she says this. Uh, you know, people are the way they are. And most of the time you will see that when they act a certain way, they're not acting it because of you. They were this way before you. They will be this way after you. It's just how they are. 
when you recognize what, that whatever is happening does not belong to you, it's not your story, you may even feel empathy toward the person who is in distress, or you may even want to help them. The, the key, every person has their story. You want to make your story beautiful or workable. Have intentions to resolve whatever problem you have. But the next issue I want to cover, but complaining about something that is not good, not is not healthy either. So my next point is choose not to complain. There are observations which lead to actions and there are complaints. Complaining takes your time and takes your energy and leads to depression, anger, helplessness and hopelessness. Let's say you, uh, here's an example. You enter a hotel room and the air conditioning doesn't work. You call the front desk and inform them that the air conditioning doesn't work. It's a deal, you know, it's written, it's an air conditioned room. Or you ask somebody else to go. You take action, this observation, which is followed by constructive action, is actually healthy. It's not a complaint. But if you say, oh, the weather is so terrible, or it's raining, or I hate this, or uh, your father eats always with an open mouth, are you going to teach an 80-year-old man good manners now? What's the purpose of what you're saying? If you know yourself as a complainer, again, I, you know, I talk, I don't see people that I talk to now. So I don't know, maybe you are listening now and saying, I'm not complaining, probably you're not, if you know that you're not. But there are people who may identify themselves as complainers. What I'm saying is nothing good comes out of it. Choose to stop complaining. Do something more useful with your time. Yet always remember to take constructive actions when something is not working the way you want. And this is all so far for thoughts, feelings, and self-talk. It doesn't have to be all. I could talk more about it, uh, but I want to hear your feedback if you have other questions um, about self-talk or feelings. You're welcome again to call and or you're welcome to, to write to me and I will address it next time I talk. Um, what, as a result of this um, so far talk covering the, the feelings, I would just suggest that you become watchful. I hope if you made mental notes or wrote down these ideas that I shared with you. And all you can do is practice and be patient with yourself. Know that it takes time. I've been working on myself for decades, you know. Uh, many, many years ago, my teacher asked me to write what was called life plan. And uh, to write qualities of myself that I want to transform. And maybe one day I will share with you how to do it. It's kind of an elegant way to deal with it. And you work for... Uh, three months on each quality. 
And I'm talking about like more than 30 years ago, and I found 11 qualities that I wanted to transform. And what you do is you write uh, the negative one, and then you make a line, and you uh, write on the opposite side what you want to transform it into. So I remember I had 11 qualities. Now, uh, fast forward 30 years plus, I have to tell you, I have, I think, 13 qualities I need to work with. How did it happen? Because I, I would say uh, out of those original 11, three I really conquered, three I completely transformed which leaves it eight. Um, the rest, A of eight, I would say I, some I accomplished, some I succeeded with maybe 50%, some 70%, some 30%. It's a lot of work. But how did I come up with 13? Because during these years, I found five more qualities that I need to work on. So, you know, this doesn't stop. You know what they say. You don't grow old, you get old when you stop growing. So if, uh, you know, I kind of I'm sad thinking of people who say, oh, I'm bored. You, you're never bored. If, you, if you're bored, identify what you need to work on. And you have a lot of work to do. That's why I say to my children, <laughs> I will live a long life. Don't worry about me because my daughter wants me to eat a certain way and that she doesn't want me to overwork. I say I will live a very long life because I have so many qualities to work on. Okay, so next pillar. Let's. We have time, so I will start at least and we'll see how far we go. With the next pillar, and that is the third pillar of well-being, and that is social conditioning. Um, a while ago, I read uh, about Dr. Alexander Leaf from Harvard University. When he retired, uh, he actually decided to study gerontology. And he collected, he gathered a group of students um, and traveled to different parts of the world studying um, where people lived long lives. And he discovered in, that they, in Abkhazia, in the former Soviet Union, uh, in, in the mountains of Afghanistan, in, in the mountains uh, in Peru, in the mountains Tarom, the, uh, in Andes. Yeah, yeah. Particularly, he met these people from the tribe Taromara. Very interesting, actually, his study that he um, wrote, and I read it a long time ago. But what, uh, the reason I'm telling you about it is because he came to conclusion, uh, because he found people who didn't live just in the mountains, but they lived in the plains. But there was one common thing among all of them, and that was that uh, living a long life, being old in those cultures was enviable. Think about it. That is, people, all people are respected. They're not shunned away from, they're not put in nursing homes, they're admired. In fact, many, many, oh my God, 45 years ago, no, uh, 48 years ago, I served in military and I had a friend from 
Armenia. And we know at that time, you know, Armenians uh, somehow knew how to make money, even though nobody, everybody was poor in the Soviet Union. And, uh, but he had a car and uh, nobody could have a car unless you would know some ways to get it, you know. Uh, but somehow Armenians are very smart people in the Soviet Union. They knew how to make money. They, they grew fruits and vegetables and brought it in the markets uh, to northern states. Anyway, uh, any Armenian that I met had money. But this friend, we became very close, and he told me, come, when we're through with uh, military service, come and visit me. I will, I will introduce you to my great-grandfather. And it, was, it stays with me all these years. I don't remember the name of this guy, but I remember what he said. He didn't say, I will show you my car, or I will show you a big house that we live in. Or, no, his greatest treasure was his great-grandfather. And so what Dr. Alexander Leaf discovered that in, in cultures where being old is enviable, people live long lives. So, which tells us something about the influence, the society, the group, the consciousness of the group affects physiology of the individuals. So, the reason I see uh, social conditioning as one of the pillars of well-being is because we have to identify what our conditioning is. Because conditioning is most of the time unconscious. So we grow, I already spoke about it a little earlier, that we hear things, we, we see people behaving a certain way, and it becomes our way because it's part of our subconscious mind. John Atkinson said once, if you don't run your own life, someone else will. How elegant, huh? And someone else does quite often. Encyclopedia uh, Britannica defines social conditioning as a sociological process of training individuals in a society to respond in a manner generally approved by the society and peer groups within society. My question is, what uh, if this constant training is deeply flawed. In the Nazi Germany, they tried to train citizens to be uh, devoted followers of the law. But what law? They trained children to turn in their parents if the parents spoke against the Reich, against the fatherland. And in the former Soviet Union, where I come from, they also tried to train people to be good citizens. And that included writing to the authorities if somebody suspected that their neighbors or relatives were critical of the state. That's why it was so scary to me when Governor Cuomo, the governor of New York State, said that it would be appropriate to turn in someone who is not wearing a mask. If you believe it's important and uh, I am wearing a mask because people feel uncomfortable. I don't necessarily 
really the mask helps, but because people around me feel uncomfortable, I, I wear a mask. But but to think that somebody would write about you or turn you to police, this is this is scary. This training molds our perception of reality, our attitudes, our beliefs, the the social conditioning, what we hear over and over again. And most of the time it happens, the conditioning happens not now when we are adults, but when we are at a very young age. And when we are young, we are not capable to discriminate positive ideas from negative. We are not evolved enough to see right from wrong. So what happens? Many social standards that we take in from our surroundings, which become part of our subconscious mind, uh, I would say quite healthy. Uh, That's how we survive in a society. It's kind of um, social contract. We are taught how to live harmoniously in society, but some are extremely negative. They're limiting and damaging to our perception of self, sense of social justice, creativity, and overall individual growth. Think of just a few common social standards which were part of our society in not such a distant past. And how and in what ways it affected those involved. Take, for example, this, and it's not so long. Women are not as capable as men or black people are inferior to white people, or acupuncture is fraud and people who practice it are charlatans, or uh, it is healthier to feed a baby with a baby formula than with the breast. And these days, uh, a new wave of guilt conditioning is propagated by those interested in people living with a sense of guilt. And that is, if you are a white person, you are guilty of enjoying the white privilege infection. And if you don't think that you are, that's, it means you live in denial. In fact, you need to be re-educated. Yes, China had its re-education camps. Tens of millions of people died there. And the Soviet Union did. And if you, may th- if you think that it could never happen here, What about the camps for Japanese people during the World War II? You must, we all must be vigilant about what it is that is being offered to us as the right thing. And we have to be discriminant. We have to take responsibility for what comes, what we allow to go in. And always ask ourselves, is that true? So let's look, if you have a pen, this would be a good idea to write down. Let's look at what beliefs you have about life. Uh, Here are some ideas, but I will, uh, if you don't have a pen, just quickly answer in your mind without thinking. And if you have a pen, you can just write these thoughts down and then without thinking quickly, uh, write the answers. Life is, next. Men are, next. Women are, next. People, next. White people, next. Black people, next. Asian people, next. 
police is, government is, work is, money is. I can. I cannot. Death is. You are smart if. Children. Happiness. Success. The world. Truth is. People who give. People who work hard. Being honest is. If you write it down, or if you cannot, if uh, you can uh, later go into our archives and listen to what I just um, told you and create a list for yourself and then quickly answer each statement and then spend time contemplating each statement and decide where this idea comes from. And if you truly subscribe to it today, if yes, fantastic. If no, think what new belief you want to replace it with. There are three ways many people got conditioned by the society, three major worldviews that are prevalent nowadays, which I, I particularly believe are damaging. And these are misinterpretation of what our rights are, confusion about what our needs are, and the idea of what success is. So let's look at our rights. I think that's how much I will be able to do today, and then we'll continue social conditioning next time. Um, we hear all over, uh, everywhere about this. We have rights. We have right to be happy, the right to be free, the right to love, the right to be loved, the right to have a job. These ideas are so much part of our consciousness that they're never questioned. Though seemingly positive, this assertion of rights sets up, sets up a trap uh, for disappointments, bitterness, resentment, self-pity, and ingratitude. It also takes away the joy of celebrating our victories and accomplishments. We come into this world naked, penniless, helpless, and we do not know even how to ask for help. Yet everything was provided for us to greater or lesser degree. But we got all that we needed to survive. In my psychotherapy practice, I have seen a lot of people full of self-righteous anger. I had the right to be loved and cared for. And I was deprived of my childhood by emotionally unavailable parents, somebody would say. And I heard it not one time. Yes, it would be wonderful to have kind and loving parents. But the truth is, some parents are not so kind and some are not too loving. They could not give what they did not have in them. And the more people insisted on the right to have a different childhood, the more bitter they felt and the more stuck in the past they were and the less they focused on making their present a better place to be in. Their parents gave them a gift 
the gift that can never be overshadowed. Nothing that they did overshadows the fact that they gave you life. If your life is worth anything, you owe your parents gratitude for giving you the opportunity to come into this world and make whatever you make with your life. What is right? It is something that is inherently fundamentally yours. It's something which is a part of you, something that cannot be taken away. A few things uh, that cannot be taken away, I know. It's our knowledge, our emotional and spiritual evolution, our dreams, our lovingness, our feelings. The person we love can be taken away, but not our love to this person. Nobody can take away our thoughts, our wisdom, our inner accomplishments. They are our rights. We earn them. And they become inseparable part of us. Our life can be taken away. Our freedom can be taken away. Our job can be taken away. Our house can be taken away. What rights are we talking about? Everything that can be taken away and we happen to have it is our privilege. In America, we have a lot of wonderful privileges, which people in two thirds of the world do not have. It's important that we see all these amazing things that we have in this beautiful country surrounding us as privileges. And what happens if we feel them as right? A lot of anger, self-pity, demoralization, victimization of yourself, then what happens? The point that I am making that those wonderful social and political achievements which our society has made are not inherently part of human nature. And if something is not happening the way we want it to happen, it's most natural, most natural phenomenon. Why somebody shouldn't uh, be unpleasant. You have right to stand up for yourself, but people are the way they are. Knowing that most blessings that we enjoy in our lives are just blessings and privileges will keep us humble, self-reliant, and gratitude is one of the most important prerequisites for happiness. We'll talk about gratitude in the future um, talks, but I probably will need to stop now because we're already running out of time. If you wake up in the morning and start by being grateful, listing all the wonderful privileges that you enjoy in your life, that's already a good start. Um, if you are interested in... in um, downloading the whole six pillars of well-being. I have it as a as a downloadable uh, program, a course, uh, which is I believe twelve yeah twelve video course, many hours. Uh, you can go on my website, drpeterresnik.com, and download six pillars of well-being. Otherwise, um, we'll we'll talk. Again, I, I'm looking forward to your feedback and 
hopefully, I, if you are interested, I will continue after um, two weeks from now, because next week we'll have uh, a guest. And so our time together is coming to an end. Uh, I want to thank you all for being with me today. And I hope very much uh, to have you here and next week. And I wish you, uh, I wish you practice all the little tools that I shared with you. And I wish peace to all who want to live in peace. Thank you.